Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. The economy of Venezuela has collapsed as a result of gross socialist mismanagement. Their currency is essentially worthless. To start over, the next government of Venezuela must reestablish the rule of law, protect private property rights, and create a new currency. So writes Richard Rahn, one of America's most brilliant economists. So why, when we have seen the brutal realities of socialism in Venezuela, are so many calling for socialism in the United States? They romanticize about a world without poverty, where people have everything they need and everyone is equal. This has never happened anywhere, anytime in human history. Moreover, these calls for socialism are coming when the world's governments are awash in debt, money and monetary policies are teetering on the brink, and economic growth is slowing worldwide. I'm worried. But these problems have been mounting for years and life seems to go on. With me to sort this out is none other than Richard Ron himself. Richard is an economist, syndicated columnist, and entrepreneur. Currently, he is chairman of Improbable, Probable Success Productions, the Institute for Global Economic Growth, and Metal Convertibility, Convertibility LLC. Uh, he has testified before the US Congress on economic issues more than 75 times. Uh, Richard served as the first non-Caymanian member of the board of directors of the Cayman Island Monetary Authority which regulates the world's largest offshore financial center. In the 1980s, Richard was the chief economist of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. If you enjoy this conversation with Richard, I hope you'll subscribe to The Bill Walton Show on YouTube, iTunes, or any of the other major podcast platforms. So Richard, today, let's talk about socialism, debt, money, you know, the big topics. Um, and I know you have a proposed solution to the problem of money that we'll get into later on in the show. So uh, where should we start? Well, you mentioned socialism. It's when I hear somebody say, I'm a socialist, I figure right off they're either stupid or ignorant or both. <laughs> because if anybody has read any history at all, they know that every socialist experiment failed. This is going back hundreds of years. Uh, the French Revolution, of course, was one of the uh, famous initial law experiments in socialism. We all know how that ended it. Uh, but just in the last century, in the 20th century, socialist governments, whether it be the Soviet Union, China, uh, people forget the Nazis were actually stood for national yeah, yeah. socialism. Yeah. Governments killed more than 100 million of their own people. Estimates sometimes go up to 200 million. I was at the, uh, I had been an advisor to the China Russian. China was 40, 50 million. Yeah. And I had been at the, uh, I had been an advisor to the Russian government after uh, the collapse of communism mm -hmm. when Gaidar became the first non-communist prime minister. And I remember in the summer of 92, there was a little press conference at the Kremlin because Yeltsin had his demographers study the uh, Russian population of what happened under Stalin. And their estimates were 
there were 63 million excess deaths under Stalin in the 30 years he was there. Mm. That included World War II, of course, 35 million there. Uh, the Ukrainian famines, those were induced by the, the uh, Soviets. That was 9 million. The various gulags and so forth. I mean, that was just one. Well, well, well part, of this, part of this, though, was that Stalin, Mao, Hitler, Hitler didn't kill so many of his own people. I guess he... Well, if you were Jewish, you thought he was he was killing yeah. his own people. But my point is, they were really bad guys. How much of the of the failure of socialism is due to the policies they enacted? I mean, what is it? What is it that doesn't work about socialism? Well, it, socialism is based on coercion. Okay. I mean, it is uh, basically it is a few people at the top. They say, Bill, we know better how to spend your money mm -hmm. and what you should do with your life than you do. Well, people naturally resist this. And uh, if they resist, you have to stop it. Stalin was attributed to having a great line, a person, a problem, no person, no problem. Yeah. And that went all the way through. And we have the Nazis who had this uh, racist ideology. Uh, you know, there were uh, so Jews, gypsies, and many others were yeah. considered inferior. Yeah. Um, which was a little bit different than what happened in Eastern Europe and China. And there it was just, well, let's say Ukraine is a good example. Um, you had all of these peasants, the kulaks, people who were small landowners, had little farms uh, for generations. Mm -hmm. Well, when the state came in to take all their farms, they naturally resisted. And so the solution was starve them to death by taking all their produce, and uh, 9 million people died in those famines. And you just go through, and China uh, was much of the same thing, the Great Leap Forward, uh, take away people's property, uh, deny them uh, a way to look out for themselves, and people resist, and so the state takes away everything, and you die. Well, the question about socialism here... We haven't gotten to that point, but we are getting to the point where you got to ask, who's going to pay for all this? Who's going to pay for Medicare for everyone? Who's going to pay for uh, uh, health care? Who's going to pay for uh, edu free education? I mean, that's sort of where nobody is willing to admit who that's going to be. Well, I do an experiment yeah. when I'm at universities and giving lectures. Yeah. Let's say you've got, a, and a, for some of your audience who uh, also gives talks and things, uh, try it out. If you've got a uh, classroom, let's say, of, of 30 students or so, ask them how many um, are in favor of uh, free medical care or having the government provide medical care. And some number of hands will go up. And then you say to them, assume that the whole population of the country is the group here in the class, say 30 or whatever it is. I want you to look around and point out to me the person who should pay your medical care out of this group and why they should do that. And, uh, they, of course, they laugh, and sometimes somebody will point to somebody else and say, well, how do you feel about that, that you should pay, pay for Joe's somebody, medical care? Somebody who looks like Bill Gates or uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a wannabe. Yeah. And, it's, and when, they, when you bring it down to the individual, yeah. I mean, it's always nice they say, well, we're going to have the rich pay. 
Well, yeah. who specifically? And again, they might mention Visa, Uster, Bill Gates. And then you point out, well, the first year, let's say you take all their wealth, uh, it might give you, get you halfway through the year, but next year, these people are going to be gone. Uh, you either have to kill them or they'll leave. And then what are you going to do? What do you do with the problem? It's the problem of democracy, where we've seen as, as more and more different classes of people have had the vote. I guess the founders originally had the vote set up so you had to own property, and then you had to be, uh, I can't remember all the restrictions against voting. And now we're seeing a democracy where politicians are increasingly appealing to people who don't have to pay for, take, pay taxes or pay into the system, and so there's really no constituency to say no, enough. What, what, uh, well, people forget the time of the American founding. We're set up as a federal republic. Yeah. We're not set up as a democracy. You don't find the words democracy yeah. in Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. And our founding fathers feared democracies because democracies always ended up in collapse, going back to the first ones in Greece and then of in Rome and so forth, and all these democratic experiments failed. And the reason was, as Thomas Jefferson pointed out, he said once the people realize they can vote themselves benefits, all is lost. Yeah. And so the founding father's solution was to restrict the franchise to property owners. Mm -hmm. At that point, it was male property owners. Um, and some people say, well, it was, it was just white. It wasn't, actually. There was a number of black property owners who also had the franchise, and um, which was fine with the founding fathers because they realized it didn't matter the color of your skin, but if you were a property owner, it was the key thing, not sure. the color of your skin. Yeah. And, um, and as we've expanded the franchise, and people keep saying, well, everybody should vote. Well, everybody ought not to vote. You see these things on TV where um, they go ahead and interview particularly young people and say, um, you know, who would we fight in a revolutionary war? And uh, somebody will say, well, Canada or Germany. Or uh, what year did we get our independence? 1986. I mean, you hear these ridiculous. Sure. And we have these people saying, well, they should vote. Well, no. If you don't know the basics, if you don't know how the country is set up, if you don't know the basic issues, and even if you're candidates, you ask people who their uh, elected representatives are. Most of them don't know. They don't know the positions that the people have. And so there's the struggle's been you want everybody to have the right to vote, but with the right comes a certain responsibility. And part of the responsibility is to be informed. And again, our founding fathers and Jefferson was particularly articulated how a functioning republic depended on the, uh, uh, the people being sufficiently well-educated that they understood. And back at the time of the founding, uh, we didn't have TV and all the other distractions and video games. Mm -hmm. So people actually sat around and read serious works. They were, they were aware and had read the works of the people of the Scottish Enlightenment, Hume, Smith, uh, and uh, John Locke. Uh, they were familiar with the uh, great orators of ancient Rome, mm -hmm. uh, Cato the Younger, Cicero. Mm -hmm. 
and they knew these arguments. And in the coffee houses of the time, people would actually debate these issues, unlike what happens today. So in many ways, you had a better educated electorate back then than you do now. So the solution, and I like this one, is it's not, it's not based on wealth, it's not based on skin color, it's not based on sex, it's just based on your, your understanding of the principles of what the, what the laws of the United States, the Constitution, basic principles of democracy versus federalism. And if you, if you get that, yeah. and the, and the let's, have, let's have at it. When you first opened up, you mentioned uh, who's to pay for these things. Sure. And we hear these people say, well, yes, let's have uh, everybody uh, should get health care. And uh, the young woman congressman from uh, AOC. AOC. Yeah. With, uh, Alexandre Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. On her global warming thing. Yeah. And people say, well, how are you going to pay for that? And she said, well, that's not important. It's a global crisis. We have to. It's like. Where does she think the resources come from? They fall from the sky? I mean, it's just, it is a... Well, 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 my goal is to have them all watch this show so that they will learn how, this, how it all really works. Well, maybe if we're not going to read that requirement. Before yeah. you can vote... <laughs> you have to watch... Maybe, you got to watch the Bill Walton you've gotta Show. You've got to watch the Bill Walton Show <laughs> and pass a quiz at the end. Yes. If you pass, then you can have the right to vote. Well, democracies are dangerous. Victor David Hansen writes about the Peloponnesian War and Athens at war with uh, Sparta, and I guess the democracy would send a general off to fight the Spartans, democracy in Athens, and if they lost, you know what they did? They voted to have them executed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was a pretty pretty scary system. Well, let's, 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 let's shift gears a bit towards the issue I raised about debt, because we've got a debt problem. The government's not just the United States, but throughout the world, actually, have an incredible, been an incredible borrowing binge for the last 50, 60 years. And their debt, our debt now exceeds, you know, is almost equal to our GDP. And if you look at the interest on the debt, at a certain point, if interest rates go up, it's going to be a choice of, uh, you know, defense budget or paying interest on the debt. Yeah, the situation is terrible here and elsewhere. Just for here for a moment, the debt number we have greatly understates it because there's all kinds of liabilities the federal government has that are not included in those measures you get. Those Mm -hmm. those debt measures we all use are uh, published by the Treasury Department, which is just explicit recognizable debt. But let's say something like the World Bank. People don't realize the World Bank there is no theoretical limit of how much they can lend. Mm-hmm. Well, those bonds that the World Bank has um, and issues, they get very low interest rates. And the reason they do is because the U.S. government guarantees those bonds, mm. which means you and every other American taxpayer mm-hmm. is guaranteeing the principal and interest on the bonds the World Bank issues. And we know that many of the World Bank projects are nonsensical, they're subject to corruption, and so forth. And there's no theoretical l- limit on it. Now, fortunately, uh, President Trump has nam- nominated David Malpass to be the new Yeah, president. David's terrific. Yeah. I worked with him in transition. Yeah, to be the new <clears throat> head of the World Bank. Yeah. And uh, David told me one of his first uh, uh, goals will be to put a limit on the amount 
of uh, uh, spending the World Bank can do mm -hmm. and limit this kind of liability for U.S. taxpayers. But that is just one tiny example of all the liabilities we face um, in that debt measurement is not Medicare, Medicaid, yeah. Social Security, all these entitlements. Um, and the argument is, well, Congress can change it. Well, yeah, you know what the chances of make, you know, actually making the serious changes are. And so you have all this. Okay, the U.S., horrible situation. But the U.S. situation looks good compared to Europe and Japan and many other places. Which are growing more slowly than we are. And so yeah. they've got even less ability to, bring, to bail it out. Yeah, the, the total yeah. amount of all the unfunded promises the government's made is roughly 300, 350% of what GDP is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it gets to the point where we can't measure. We're talking about such huge numbers, none yeah. of us have any idea. When you start talking about trillions, and I realize you're an investment banker, I mean, you may understand a trillion. Well, I'm used to I, trillions. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Actually, <laughs> we didn't quite get to trillions. <laughs> but, but, you know, as a business businessman, financier type, yeah. I'm always looking for lines of action. And when we talk about some of these problems about people calling for socialism, a line of action is to figure out ways to get more educated voters and have them voting on things they know work and what doesn't work and not try things that have never worked. I'd also require a little bit of a math section in that where you, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you ask yourself the question, you're making 30000 a year mm -hmm. and you owe 200000 mm -hmm. So how's your life going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, that's more or less where we are. Yeah, and particularly you point out when interest rates go up, then how's your life going to be? Yeah, so it, it, if you boil it down to where we are, would be as human as individuals, then I think it gets more understandable. But then we would need, I think, courageous and, 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 and tough politicians to call for that uh, changes in that. And even, even Donald Trump, who's our populist president now, has refused to call for any changes in entitlements, A, because he knows he could never get any changes through the Democrat Congress, and B, why should he spend political capital on something he knows nobody's going to do something about. Yeah. And this, of course, happens is every politician assumes it's a game of musical chairs. Yeah. They're going to assume they're going to be retired or dead before the bill comes due. And one of these days, the bill is going to come due. And the ones who, up to this point, bet they could kick the can down the street a bit longer have... Uh, you know, they've won on that bet, but we know it doesn't go on forever. And there's places where uh, debt has caught up. We take a look at Greece. And um, the Greeks, for uh, decades, spent far more than they took in. Yeah. And they were using the euro. And finally, the Germans and the others uh, said, we're not going to loan you any more money. And so what has happened is the Greek standard of living has dropped more than 30% over the last six years. And that's going to happen well, across the planet. Well, what do you, what do you, this is not something I've dug into much, but modern monetary theory, modern monetary policy, whatever it is, people are now saying it doesn't matter how much government debt there is because governments can always issue more money to pay it back. So there's never, there's never a day of reckoning. <laughs> Does that, did I did I did I capture that? Yeah. Uh, yes, it, there, uh, yes, this modern monetary theorist 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, eventually, it shows up inflation or collapse. I mean, there's, we yeah. take a look at Venezuela. Yeah. Um, I mean, we just go through country after country. Argentina's going through it again, as, as they have multiple times. Um, I mean, it is this idea, what well, you can't create wealth out of nothing. Wealth is created by productive investment and human capital and work. Mm -hmm. And if you could just print money, um, it would be so wonderful. Everything would be so nice. But you go back several hundred years ago, there was uh, the French had at one time brought a, 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 a Brit over, John Law, who was one of the first people to advocate the unlimited printing of paper money. He was a very popular guy with the king. Oh, yeah. For a and while. They, they <laughs> loved him because he started printing all this money, yeah. and everybody appeared to be rich. And then what happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this has happened time and time again. We have, you know... Uh, well, there are two ways you can you can destroy wealth. You, there are more ways than that, but but you can you can issue a lot of debt, or you can debase the currency, and those are the ways that people do it. And we've seen a lot of inflation. In the past, it's a lower number, and yet mm -hmm. we've seen tremendous inflation in education and uh, healthcare. And I think you point out pointed out in your writings that that's basically because those two industries have been essentially government monopolies, yeah. education for a long time, healthcare increasingly. Mm -hmm. So what do you, but is that, I think also you point out that the market forces at work are writing to the rescue. And the innovation you talked about in the private sector, even though we've got yeah. this big inflation in health, healthcare and education costs, technology might be part of the solution. You want to amplify on that? Let's take education. Yeah. Uh, I say this as a former professor. I've taught at a number of schools, and I've also been a college administrator. And there's just incredible waste and lack of innovation at universities. But there's something happening basically because of the Internet. And you think about it, that any smart person, any place on the planet who has basic discipline can now go on the Internet and get themselves a world-class education. Mm -hmm. Let's say you've got a kid living in rural China who's learned English, knows basic mathematics, and, of course, people over the planet can pick this up. They can go on and get themselves an MIT education. And I actually tested this thing out at one point because the major schools, MIT, the Ivy Leagues, Stanford, and so forth, have put many of their courses online. And they give you the syllabus, um, the readings, there's the uh, lectures, it's all done on video. And so you, you have to have individual self-discipline, but you can get the same education as the student who's actually going to MIT. So I tested out the basic MIT introductory physics course, and I went on, looked it up, and saw all the material there, and actually listened to a few of the lectures and read a little bit of stuff to make sure that actually could be done, or mm -hmm. it can be. And this is what is going to happen, because the marginal cost of education is very low. And that is, 
those of us have been professors. Yeah. And I used to think years ago when I was a student, why are we um, having to listen to a lot of really dull professors when even back then we had videos of Milton Friedman and sure. Walter Williams and you know great classroom performers and where every student could get that. Well, that, of course, is really happening, and now with the Internet, it makes it very easy. And so you have, let's say, the best in every particular field. Again, uh, Milton has passed, but still his old lectures are all there, all the stuff he did with Freedom Shoes and everything. And anybody can go on and watch all this stuff. And of uh, all the, yeah. you know, the, the great economists now and physicists and everything else, so everybody can listen to the very best. They don't have to work, listen to, you know, the third-year teaching assistant any long, longer who uh, really doesn't know stuff and are very... Uh, what, any, what, any, what, what we've got to do, though, is we've got to get people to look past what Brian Kaplan calls the, the signaling yeah. value of, of a diploma. Yeah. If you get a diploma from Harvard, that's supposed to be... But see, this, all of this is now... Increasingly, people are realizing this is nonsense. Well, when I ran Allied Capital, that was a that was one of the I wouldn't say it was controversial, but people were surprised. I'd I'd rather hire somebody from Michigan State yeah. who had an engineering degree who kind of did really well in that environment, as opposed to somebody who necessarily went to Yale and had a degree in in yeah. uh, something studies yeah. because I'm I the the. The university label didn't mean as much as what the what yeah. the kid could actually do. I mean, I have an Ivy League PhD from Columbia, but when I was going to school, I was also teaching at the Polytechnic University in New York. Yeah, and uh, the people that went to Poly were usually very smart, first generation Americans. Yeah, you know, Italian and Jewish kids uh, uh, from Eastern Europe or South America. These kids worked really hard. They were very smart. And you wanted to hire those people. So what's going to happen? Increasingly, employers are going to do what you did, and we find all over. They're going to hire. They're going to say, okay, this student got a degree in mathematics or yeah. physics versus, uh, well, there was a young woman I knew. I knew her parents well, and, they, and she had gone to uh, Smith College, sure, which is uh, – one of the girl, Ivy League girls' colleges, you know, one of the sisters. And um, she had studied sociology. And the whole thing was in, uh, you know, women's studies and gender things and uh, it was all grievance. You know? Any major ending in studies. Yeah, yeah. So, and she was very smart and very, she was a very nice lady and I liked her a lot. But I said to her, I would never hire you as smart as you are. And she said, what? I said, look at your degree. I said, I hire you. Your degree tells me you're going to sue me over something. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually, uh, I would have hired you before you went to the university, but you have negative value added. And we're finding this. I'm sure she received that. Just She thought that was... Or she you, was a, you have negative value. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> she was appalled when I said that to her. Okay. But well. the thing was absolutely true, and they're increasingly waking up to it because uh, uh, I think her and many of her classmates, you know, they have uh, yeah. jobs uh, 
poorly paid jobs working for nonprofits. And fortunately, their parents uh, are well off, so they won't starve. But if they're not, uh, they're, they're, you know, the kid who went off and majored in physics and mathematics uh, 10 years later is making six figures. And the ones who majored in sociology from a leading school sure. are still making uh, low five figures. Well, well, you know, you and I have done this repeatedly over the years. We've wandered off topic discussing something even ever more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go back to money a bit and inflation because I also want to get to your idea about uh, a, a currency backed by mm -hmm. a commodity called aluminum. And but let's let's tie this up. We've got about. Uh, about a minute left in this segment, and mm -hmm. then I think this might be time to say that we're going to be continuing with a bonus segment after we wrap up the show, and where Richard's going to be talking about his idea for money backed by aluminum, and uh, it's 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 a form of cryptocurrency, and it's an extremely interesting uh, new concept, and gets us out of some of the monetary traps that um, the Fed and the other central banks have gotten us into. It also puts a free market element into money which we all think we need, and the government should not have a monopoly on printing it. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, but circling back to the topic, we were on education. We're optimistic because we have technology that can educate people, and you don't have to go sit in class at Harvard. Well, and, the transitions are always painful. And it, but it, employers, you know, 20 the, years from now, they're going to look so at there's what reasons, you know. There's reasons for optimism. No, if you I'm, figure, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the long run. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, because the people are going to come up with uh, uh, companies who will just test people afterwards, yeah. after college, and say, what do you actually know? And then uh, people will be hired on that basis, not where they went or where they got admitted to. What a concept. We're going to hire you based on what you actually know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's that'll be last words for this segment. I hope you'll, uh, if you like the show, I hope you'll uh, sign up on... Uh, iTunes or YouTube or any of the other major podcast channels. Richard, uh, one of the most accomplished uh, economists in America, where can, where can we find you? Your website, uh, email? Well, actually, uh, there's, I do a weekly syndicated column as Washington Times is the lead paper here in Washington. Mm -hmm. um, the... Uh, I think it just typed in my name and all kinds of stuff pop up. In the Institute for Global Economic Go Growth, uh, uh, .org, um, well, that one .com. I highly recommend people read yeah. your column in the yeah. Washington Times. Every week you've got something interesting. I've been doing useful. that for uh, yeah. 20 years. Okay. And um, that sort of picks up my thoughts of the week, whatever. Well, uh, let's pick up your thoughts some more. We're going to be right back with, uh, with a bonus segment in which we're going to get into uh, uh, a new type of currency and uh, the reason for optimism there. So thanks for joining, and, and we'll be talking with you in just a couple of minutes. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. 
Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.